Um, hey, real quick, um, October, which is only a week away, can you believe that? Crazy, October. Um, we do, we always prayer walk through the month of October, and so starting next Sunday, that's October 1st, we'll be prayer walking this entire Lake Travis area over the month of October, and, and so I want to encourage you to jump in on that a couple different ways. One, because this Lake Travis area is so spread out, I'm going to ask you, if you would, please prayer walk your neighborhood, and then what we do is that we put a big map just across um, the hallway from the kids' check-in desk, and we'll have little red strings, and if you'll come back and then mark where you have prayer walk so we can kind of keep track, because we're going to need all of us to really be able to you know, get through this entire area. It was great seeing last year how far we were able to actually prayer walk all this whole entire region. So if you would, first and foremost, prayer walk your own neighborhood. And then post it there. And then secondly, um, we'll do um, three different organized times during the week where we gather together to actually go as a group to prayer walk. And we'll do it easily enough for you. One will be right after this service next week. So after the 930 service, there'll be a group of people that will go to an area and we'll break out into different areas to prayer walk that area. And then also after the 1130 service, we'll do the same thing, have a group of people gather and go prayer walk that area. And then also on Thursday mornings at nine o'clock, we'll also have a group of people that will go out and prayer walk. So if you want to join in on any of those kind of group times where we go out and prayer walk an area closer by here to the church, um, I would really encourage you to do that. I really believe it is prayer that changes things. I mean, if you want things to just to stay as is, if you're content with status quo, then don't pray. Um, but if you want things to change in your neighborhoods, in your family, in your work situations, if you want to see God do something here in our region, and then that's what prayer is. That's, that's what we, why we do this. So we'll be doing this through the whole month of October, and I encourage all of you to be a part of that. If you would, get your Bibles out and turn with me to Judges chapter 6. We've been looking at this passage the last couple of weeks because we're doing this new series that we're calling On Purpose and the different lies that we believe about our potential. And the reason why we're doing this series is because I mentioned this, that on Easter Sunday, we did this kind of survey asking you, give us some input, what messages you would like to us to preach on. And the overwhelmingly number one topic that you asked for us to preach on is this topic of purpose. And it's not just us as a congregation nationwide. It is the, is the number one question people are asking, what is my purpose? Why am I here on this earth? And so that's what we're delving in into. And we've been looking at this passage here in Judges chapter 6. If you want to follow along, also on the screens you can follow it. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian... Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt, and I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. 
I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God, and you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline those words, mighty hero. Because we've been talking about last week, and I started talking about this last week, that I think there's something inside of each one of us that wants to be a hero. And I mentioned this last week that I think most of us can remember times probably back in our childhood when we wanted to be a superhero character. How many of you ever wanted to be Superman? Let me see your hand. Any of you grew up wanting to be Superman? How many of you want to be Wonder Woman? All right, Jim, put your hands down. It's just, this is usually for ladies. How many wanted to be the $6 million man? Anybody want to be the $6 million man? Remember, remember that show? The Bionic Woman. Anybody want to be the Bionic Woman there? Kind of the sister show to the $6 million man. Then you have Batman and Spider-Man. And now we have this whole new generation of Transformers and X-Men and Captain America and the Avengers and Green Lantern, all these and I, when you look at Hollywood, I think they really capitalize on this emotion because the, the highest grossing movies of our time and our generation are from these superhero characters. And I think it's true. I think there's something inside of us that just wants to be the hero. We want to be able to swoop in and we want to be able to save the day. And so we've been talking about how when you were born, God infused inside of you many things. And one of the things God put inside of every single one of us, this great purpose that he wants you to embrace. And this is the essence of what the angel was telling Gideon here in verse 12. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, there was nothing heroic about Gideon's life at this moment when the angel speaks these words to him. There was nothing about, about Gideon's life that was making a difference. But what was about to happen is that God was going to unveil to Gideon a piece of his purpose, and it was about ready to take him on the ride of his life. And here's the thing, folks, because just as certainly as God had a purpose for Gideon, God has a purpose for you as well. And just as God showed Gideon his purpose, God wants to show you your purpose as well. And I think this is really important for us to understand because over the years, I've talked with so many people who are struggling to understand their purpose. And too often, the lie that I think we tend to embrace is this thinking that God's making it hard on us to discover our purpose. You know, you understand what I'm saying? That somehow God's, just, God's kind of playing this game, but it's so important for you to understand that God's not making it hard on you. God's not playing a game. God doesn't want to make it difficult for you. He's not trying to make you mad or get you frustrated about that. He's not trying to make you jump through all these hoops so that you have to somehow earn it before he's going to show you what your purpose is. That's not how God operates. But what you do need to understand is that God does hide his will. And we talked in depth about that last week. But don't you look at this passage here again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, have been cru they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived 
what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. See, folks, because God loves you so much, and I think it's really hard for us even to comprehend how much God loves us, but because he loves us so much, God's not going to make it difficult for you to discover your purpose. That's not, what he's, that's not what he's doing here. No, God specifically designed a purpose for you, and he wants you to discover your purpose because he knows that when you discover your purpose, it will bring joy and fulfillment to your life. But the reason why God hides his will is because he is hiding the good stuff from evil men and from the devil. We talked about that specifically last week, which means you're going to have to search for your purpose. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor you're going to have to search for your purpose. It's true, you're going to have to search for your purpose. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, Verse 9, he says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, see what Jesus is saying? Jesus himself is saying, you're going to have to search. You're going to have to search for these things. But unfortunately, I think too many of us, we don't ask and we don't seek and we don't knock for very long or if at all. And it usually only happens when some sort of crisis happens in our life. You know what I'm talking about? Crisis hits and now all of a sudden we start asking the questions, right? God, where are you? What are you doing here? What am I supposed to do? Who am I? What's going on here? And we'll continue to ask these questions until the pain or the sorrow or the difficulty or that, that situation resolves itself, which may be after a few hours or a few days or a few weeks, depending upon the severity of the situation. But as soon as the crisis is over, what happens? <laughs> we just simply go back to going back to the same old, same old doing the same thing over and over and over, just kind of going through this life, passively passing through this life. Oswald Chambers says it this way. He says, There's nothing more difficult than to ask. We will long and desire and crave and suffer, but not until we are at the extreme limit will we ask. A sense of unreality makes us ask. Matthew 7, 8 says, For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This does not mean that you will not get if you do not ask, but until you get to the point of asking, you won't receive from God. To receive means you have come into the relationship of a child of God, and now you perceive with intelligent and moral appreciation and spiritual understanding that these things come from God. Listen, this, folks, this is why it's so important to put ourselves in a position of seeking and asking and knocking. And Jesus tells a story right before this statement of ask, seek, and knock that he makes here. He tells us the story that I think we forget about that I think is so important for us to understand because it shows one of the most overlooked elements of this aspect of searching. Look at this in verse 5. It says, Then teaching them more about prayer, he, that is Jesus, used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, 
Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. <laughs> you see what he's talking about? He's telling the story, and he's telling it in the, in the cultural sense of, of Jewish hospitality here. And so this guy comes knocking on this door. And he's asking, I don't have any bread, and I have these visitors coming, and I need, I, need, I need help here. But this man's yelling down and said, no, I'm not going to help you. I've already gone into bed. Go someplace else. But because his friend was bold and shamelessly persistent, this man ends up giving him exactly what he's searching for. See, folks, I think this is really important for us to understand because we're not just to occasionally ask and seek and knock. We're to do this continually. We're to continually, our lives need to be marked by continually asking and seeking and knocking. Because here's the thing, we're, not to, we're to be explorers, not visitors. We're to be archaeologists, not museum visitors who come just to look at things. This is who, how our lives should be marked. It's this continual asking and this con continual searching so that throughout your life you have this continual shout of, look what I found. I just found another piece of God's purpose for my life. That our lives should be marked with this searching and seeking and knocking so that we can discover another piece of God's purpose for our lives. Because here's the great thing, folks. It's worth the search. Come on, tell your neighbor. Your neighbor needs to know that. Tell your neighbor it's worth the search. Because here's the thing. When you figure out what your purpose is and you commit to it, number one, your life takes on its ultimate meaning. And there's just such a fulfillment when it happens. When you're in the right lane, running, running the race, doing the thing that you're called to do, that God created you for, you, you experience the ultimate meaning of life. Number two, then people around you, the people you serve are blessed. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a multiplication that happens because you're blessing those who are around you. Number three, the world becomes a better place. <laughs> and boy, don't we need that. If only we would step in our purpose so that this world could become a better place. I wonder, because I always think the book of Revelation describes that, that Jesus is going to have to wipe away our tears. And I always wonder if the reason why there's so much crying at the beginning of heaven is because all of a sudden we, could have, we, we see what could have been. But it was because we didn't step in, because we didn't pray, because we didn't seek and knock and ask that we miss all the things that God had in store for us. Number four, then God takes pleasure in, our, in your obedience and, your, and, and enjoyment. God actually takes pleasure in this. That's why, folks, it's so worth the search. So the question then becomes, what steps do I need to take to search for my purpose? I'm so glad you asked the question. Because from my experience and from watching others, I'd argue that the first step is surrender your will to God. Surrender your will to God. Now, I understand that's probably not exactly what you wanted to hear, because surrender... It's not really the word that we want in our culture. In this day and age, this is an age of independence and self-absorption. And so this idea of surrendering is not at all what makes us come alive, is it? Come on, let's just be honest. It's not what we want. I don't want to surrender. I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. That is just kind of the motto of our culture today. But I'm going to tell you something here, folks, because the cornerstone of releasing the power 
of your of, of, of the power of the purpose within you is when you finally get to a place where you know that you know that you know that you know that God knows what is best for you and that God has your best interest in mind. Until these things settle in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, you will always wrestle with God. Because you're going to be thinking that God's going to send you to Timbuktu and ask you to do something you don't want to do. But I want you to think about it this way. Why would God, as the captain of heaven's armies, why would God, as the best manager in the world, send a disgruntled servant to some place that they don't want to be? It doesn't make any sense. But God knows where your life will come alive. God knows where you'll be fulfilled. And that's where he wants to place you. So you don't need to be afraid of the questions because God knows how you are, you, you are wired. And so we've got to settle this issue that God knows what is best for me and that God has my best interest in mind. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Romans 8, verse 28. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so be, because God is for you, because God has your best interest in mind, any purpose that God prepares for you is going to produce these amazing outcomes that will cause you to come alive, that will cause joy and fulfillment in your life. But here's the mistake I think way too many of us make. Maybe you can identify this. Because I think the mistake is, is that we... Decide what we think our purpose should be. And then we develop a plan. And then what happens? Then we ask God to bless our plan. Come on, you know the formula, right? Isn't that what we tend to do? We decide what we want to do, and then we ask God to bless our plan. But let me just tell you, folks, that's trouble. That's trouble because you don't know what is best for you. And it's our assumptions that will get us in trouble more times than not. Look at this example in Joshua chapter 7, because unfortunately Joshua is a good example of this. Look at this in starting verse 2. It says, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all your people struggle to go up there. Now, you need to have perspective here. Because they had just seen God in a tremendous victory over the city of Jericho. You remember the, you remember the story where it had all these legions of armies and these walls that were incredible and where chariots would race around these walls. It was so fortified, it was impossible to penetrate. But in a miraculous way, God brought down the walls and, and the Israelites were able to capture the city. And so they come to the next city that's in this whole area that God said, this is what I promised to you. So they come to this next city and this one looks simple. This is nothing compared to the city of Jericho. And they say, so we, we can just do this. We can just, this is just easy. We'll just send 3,000 people there and look at what happens. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothes in dismay, threw dust on their heads, bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. 
Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been contempt just to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies, from the Canaanites and all of the people living in the land hear about it? They will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? I, ugh, can you see yourself? Can you see yourself in your whining and complaining to God? God, why is this? God, why are you doing this? Look, look at this in verse 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. <laughs> Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded them must be set apart from me. They have not only stolen them, but they have lied about and hidden the things among their own belongings. This is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you even longer unless you destroy the th these things among you that were set apart for destruction. Now look at what happened. They assumed they could do it their own way. Come on, ever been there? Come on, let's be honest here. More often than not, I hate to admit that that tends to be me. I tend to figure things out and want to, and want to do it my way. We, again, we like things that we like. We want things to happen when we want them to happen. And I shared this story last week that, and, and how God began to unveil and and unravel my purpose for me is that he had to tear down so many of these preconceived ideas. Because I mentioned last week that when God began to speak to me about my purpose, one of my big prejudices is that I, there's no way I was ever going to do anything in ministry, in church, because I had these preconceived ideas that pastors were people who couldn't do anything else with their life. And so I, I have this stubborn, independent, predetermined nature that, again, I want to do things my way. I like to be in control. And so I entered college with so many preconceived ideas of what my life was going to be about. And part of it was just stupid peer pressure. I was valedictorian in my high school class. And so I had all this academic peer pressure that I thought was pushing me. And so I came into college wanting to have some sort of praise academically. So I set out in pre-med and computer science. Don't ask me why, they don't go together, but in my head, it was something that would be academically praised, and so that's what I was going to do, because I had passed a bunch of my um, um, science classes, I didn't, pre-med wasn't going to start until my junior year, but computer science had to start right from the beginning, and so this is before internet, this is before email, and so this is basic programming language, where you're learning computer language, Pascal and basic, and so I'm sitting in computer labs, um, programming these silly stuff. And for very quickly, I realized this is not me. Uh, I know that I'm supposed to do something, but this cannot be me. I cannot sit in a cubicle and, and program things. God bless all of you who are able to do that. But this, I just knew, I didn't know a lot at that point, but I knew this was not me. And so back then, if you, those of you old enough to remember, none of this was on the internet, none of it was on computers. So the course handbook was this big, thick book. You know, where you look through it and gives you descriptions of the course majors and the course, all, all the different classes that you would take. And so I thought, well, this is what I'll do. I'll see if I can find something within the computer science world that will fit me better. And sure enough, there was this major called Management Information Systems. And so I began to look at that and began to look at the description of it. It had a little bit more people involved, a little bit more management involved. I thought, well, this is a better fit. I'll do this. So I shifted from computer science to MIS degree. 
and began that, that whole thing. And as I was in the MIS degree, it put me then in the business, in the business college of the university. Well, I fell into the business department because I never would have intentionally done it. Because in my high school, those people who took business courses in high school were those who were not taking the AP classes. And so in my head, people that were going in the business classes in the business world were people who really couldn't do other things. I'm sorry, this is, you're getting a little bit of view <laughs> of my messed up brain and just how much pride was in me. And so, and so, and so I fell into the business college because I, there's, call, there's business classes that were attached to the MIS degree. Well, now I'm in the business college. I'm starting to take these other classes, these management classes and these executive business classes. And I think, I like this better than computer science by far. There's no reason for me to be in, dealing with computers. Let's just go completely into the business world. And so I got out my course binder again and began to go through now the business college and what degree the business college had. And there in there was an international business degree plan. Well, I have an affinity for German. I have an affinity. I've been, I have this, this language thing. I had I'd gone on a missions trip to Germany, and I thought, well, this is a great fit. I'll do something in the international business arena in Europe with the German language. And so I end up diving into the business world in an international business degree. And then you can kind of, if you know the rest of my story, you know how God began to bring all of these worlds together, and I end up going, after college, going to Germany as an associate pastor in a German church. And it was all because God had to incrementally begin to break down these stereotypes and these prejudices, and it wasn't until I began to surrender my will that I began to understand my purpose. This is an enormous thing, folks, because while I suspect that God appreciates our effort, I do. I think God, just as, as a parent does, I think God appreciates our effort to do something great for him. The reality is that only God knows what is best for you and what is best for his kingdom. And so instead of starting first with self and working out a plan that you think that God will bless, we need to first start with God and ask him what it is, his intentions, what he had in mind when he created you, and then adopt his plans. It's the essence of what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. If I were just to simplify the Bible and say, here's a handful of scriptures you need to know, this is one of them. Because this is the essence of your relationship with God. Trust him. Put your trust, put your hope, put your faith in him. Not in what you can do, not in what you can understand. Don't depend just on what you can think about. Don't lean just on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. Bring God in. Bring him into your thoughts. Bring him into your, your decision. Bring him into those things because then he'll be able to direct your steps. This is really important stuff. And when you truly surrender then to God, then that's when you're going to be able to hear what God says and be able to distinguish that from what you're just trying to make happen in and of your own strength. And then a second step to finding your purpose is through, I think, the oldest method in the world, and that's through trial and error. Simply trial and and air. And listen to what I'm talking about here, because if you're trying to figure out what God created you to do, don't just sit there waiting for something to drop in your lap. 
Even though I, couldn't, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, at least I was moving in a direction. At least I was doing something. And so instead of just waiting for something to drop in your life, instead, jump in and roll up your sleeves and start serving in cooperation with somebody else's purpose. Did you hear what I said? When you don't know what your purpose is, jump in and start serving in cooperation with somebody else's purpose. I just think this is such a huge principle. When I was in um, one of my executive management classes, we read a book, and when the book was talking about that on your way to becoming a millionaire, I love that, on your way to becoming a millionaire, you're going to help a handful of other people become millionaires before you ever do. That stuck with me, not because of the millionaire idea, but because of this idea of that's how God set things up. Jump in. When you don't know what your purpose is, jump in and help other people fulfill their purpose. And, on your, and as you do that, you're going to discover your purpose, and then ultimately you will accomplish your purpose. And by jumping in, then this is this trial and error thing. You're testing it. You're seeing it. Is this something that fits? Is this something that, that works for me or not? I think this is one of those greatest points because I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people over the years who have no clear understanding of their purpose. But what I've noticed is that to figure out your purpose you don't have to have your life totally figured out. You don't have to have your life totally put together. You don't have to have, know the details of your future. You don't have to know the essence of your purpose. But if you're willing to get involved, if you're willing to come alongside of somebody else's purpose, if you're willing to try different things out, then you will discover your purpose. It's the man or the woman who just sits waiting for something to drop in their lap that will constantly miss what discovering their purpose is. And then here's the third step to finding your purpose, and that is simply become aware of other people's needs. Become aware of other people's needs. A couple of weeks ago, I said this statement that I don't know the specifics of your purpose, but I do know two things. Number one, I know that you do have a purpose. Everyone in this room, you have a purpose, a God-specific purpose that he put inside of you. And the second thing I said is that your purpose is some way, somehow related to others. Some way, somehow, your purpose has to do with people. It is. Come on, Spencer. Which is why we need to stay alert to the needs of those around us. Remember, your purpose is some way, somehow, going to be connected to others, going to be related to other people. And so we need to be alert to the needs around us and be aware of how those needs might spark your own imagination and your own passion because chances are, when you get involved in serving others, you're going to start feeling something. Something's going to happen. You're going to be introduced to your purpose through exposures like that. An example of this is um, we have one of our overseers here at One Chapel. Um, his name is Chris Hodges. Some of you know him. He is the lead pastor and founding pastor of Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. And Courtney and I have known him for a bunch of years because we were on staff together at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And, but 17 years ago, um, he kind of came to this kind of a bit of a crisis of purpose. Not a crisis of faith, but a crisis of purpose. He had been um, seven years as, as a, a youth pastor at Bethany World Prayer Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And then he went to Colorado Springs and was the youth pastor there for seven years. And they came back to um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he was a senior associate pastor at that same church. And he had just gotten to this place of 
uh, something's not quite right. I feel like I've accomplished what I'm supposed to accomplish, that I've done what my purpose was at this point, but I feel like there's something else. I feel like there's a miss. And he's beginning to have this crisis of purpose in his own life. And so he'd been praying and seeking. He just felt like he couldn't hear what it was. And he tells the story that one of his best friends, their son, came down with this horrific, debilitating disease and was put in St. Jude's Hospital. And so Chris began traveling back and forth to spend time with his friend and his family while they were at St. Jude's. And while, they were at Saint, while he was at St. Jude's Hospital, all of a sudden he became aware of the enormous needs and the enormous um, pain and suffering that these families were going through and these children were going through. And it began to stir his heart to the point that he began volunteering for St. Jude's. And the more he volunteered at St. Jude's, the more his heart just ached and hurt. And he began to think that this must be my purpose, that I need to serve some way, somehow, move and serve um, here and be a part of what's happening here at St. Jude's Hospital. But the more he sought and the more he began to pray about it, God began to speak to him about planting a church specifically targeted for those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are in desperate need. And so he planted a church in Birmingham, Alabama, 17 years ago. And it's now one of the largest churches and fastest growing churches in the United States. But it was all because, not because he, he saw his purpose while he was in the middle of his world. He saw it as he began to serve others' needs. And as he surrounded himself with the needs of others, something began to happen to his own heart and it wasn't what he thought it was, but God opened him up to what actually his purpose was. And I just think this is, this is a huge thing for us. And that's why I think it's so important. Be careful, be very careful about turning down opportunities to serve, whether large or great, because you never know that invitation may be the doorway that will open wide the purpose that God has for your life. And then here's the fourth step to finding your purpose and that is your purpose may be related to the pain and suffering that you have endured. Your purpose may be related to the pain and suffering that you have endured. And again, I think this is a really important key for us to understand. Because oftentimes, this is what I've discovered, oftentimes your purpose is revealed when you're at the lowest point of the valley, not when you're at the pinnacle of the mountain. Any of you ever heard of a guy by the name of Dave Reaver? Did that name sound familiar to any of you? I want you to listen to his story. Dave Reaver grew up in a loving, committed family in South Texas. The last thing on his mind was going to war. At the height of the Vietnam War, he received his draft notice. Having no desire to serve in the infantry, he joined the Navy and served as a riverboat gunner in the elite Brownwater Black Beret in Vietnam. Eight months into his tour of duty in Vietnam, Dave was burned beyond recognition when a phosphorus grenade he um, was poised to throw exploded in his hand. The ordeal left him hospitalized for 14 months where he underwent numerous major surgeries. His survival and life are miraculous. Today, with his humorous style, Dave Reaver is enthusiastically received both nationally and internationally as a public speaker. He is a gifted communicator and speaks in a variety of settings, including public schools, military installations, business, men's and youth conventions, etc. Dave is a frequent guest on national television talk shows. He established compassionate, ongoing missions work in Vietnam and is involved in other nations. In every setting, Dave's message is one of hope. Using his life as an example, he addresses issues relevant to his audience and presents concrete solutions to life's problems. 
often drawing upon his war experiences of loneliness, peer pressure, disfigurement and pain, as well as life's triumphs. Dave weaves a message of courage, commitment, and survival that touches and transforms those who hear him. The foundation of his hope is his faith, supported by the wholesome relationships with his parents, wife, children, and grandchildren. Three or four years after his injuries, the Department of Navy corrected its oversight by awarding Dave his Purple Heart, along with several other service medals. Because of his wartime experience of service injury and recovery, he's uniquely qualified to speak to the needs of military personnel. He's called upon regularly to address troops on domestic military bases, as well as those deployed in Iraq and other locations around the globe. Isn't that interesting? I find his story so fascinating. It's, it's if you ever have a chance to hear him in person and to see him in person, it's an incredible testimony of what God has done in his life. But I think Dave is a great example of what I'm talking about here this morning because his purpose is a response to the pain and the suffering and the disappointment that he experienced. And I think this is so critical for you and I to understand because your pain may be the vehicle by which you're able to understand your purpose as well. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. This is an amazing thing how God does it. Remember, God works all things together. I love that. Even your pain and suffering, he's not the cause of it, but I love how his, how his lordship is able to take even the pain and suffering our lives and weave it then into this beautiful picture of purpose for your life. And so the question becomes, are you allowing the pain and suffering to overwhelm you and undermine your life? Or are you allowing God to use it as a means to actually show you more of your purpose? If you would, I want to ask you just to close your eyes here this morning as we finish here. And I want to pray for you. In just a little bit, the worship team is going to lead us here in, in a song. But we're going, to do, we're going to end a service here just a little bit different. Normally we do communion at this time. But I felt like that the Spirit of God wanted to use this time to speak specifically into things that are going on in your life. And so I want to encourage you that as the team worships and sings over you, to ask God if there are some areas in your life that maybe you're holding on to tightly. Maybe there's something, even as I was talking here this morning, that you realize that you know, you're like me, you're stubborn, you're obstinate, you're predetermined, you, you, you're controlling, and you have your life all organized and planned out. And the Spirit of God is poking at your heart this morning, asking you to surrender, asking you to let go. And you feel that internal thing, but maybe here this morning, you're beginning to realize that God does love you, and that He has your best in mind, and He knows what will best suit you. And so your fears are not warranted, that you can trust God. And so maybe there's something here that the Holy Spirit is willing to put his finger on to help you surrender here this morning. Maybe there's some steps. Maybe you've just been sitting idly by waiting for something to drop in your lap. And 
but maybe there's some steps that you're supposed to take. Maybe, maybe you don't know, but maybe there's some trial and error that you can do. Maybe there's some, some people you can jump in and begin to serve. Maybe there's some opportunities that have kind of come across your path and you kind of just let them go because you're busy, because we're all busy. But maybe the Holy Spirit's stopping you here this morning and, and you feel that, that nudge to get involved, to, to do something, to serve. And, and then maybe your pain and suffering has been something that just feels like an outcast to your life. But maybe you're missing the ingredient of God working in the midst of that. That through the comfort that he wants to give you, that then you will then in turn be able to comfort those around you. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning. God, as we're all on this journey to try to understand and try to figure out what you created this for and try to understand our purpose, Father, I pray that every one of us Father, there would be something that would shift even inside of us here this morning, that we would be those who are continually seeking, continually asking, continually knocking, that we would be explorers, that we wouldn't be tourists, that we'd be these archaeologists, not these museum tourists. But God, that you would do something inside of us to get us up off our seats, to be able to step forward and be able to step into what you have for us. God, I thank you that you put inside of us something. You even said it in Hebrews that we're not of those who give up and are destroyed, but we are those who stand firm in faith so that we will see the victory of God in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that get up spirit, that faith-filled spirit, that longing and searching after what you have, Lord, that would come inside of our, our lives here. And so Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us individually here in this moment, I pray. In Jesus' name. The longer I do this thing with God, the more I realize that surrender is everything. It's just a continual life of surrender and more surrender and and uh, you know, in my earlier life, I can look back now and realize I'm really made it hard on me. You know, I inflicted a lot of pain on me, and I made my life really difficult because I was insistent upon doing certain things. And I'm telling you, until you get to that place where you really believe, you know that you know that you know, that God knows what is best, and He has your best in mind until you get to that place, we'll keep on hitting him and you'll get hurt every time you do that. And so I want you to learn from my messes and mistakes and learn from others. You don't have to be afraid of surrender. It's the most life-giving thing you'll ever do because you step into what God created you for and you really, you really do come alive. Good. Have all you stand here. I just want to speak a blessing over you, and I want to ask the prayer team to come forward here. We always have the prayer team down here after the end of every service, because I want you always to know that I don't want you ever just to come into a service and, and never 
have flesh and blood contact where somebody can stand with you, pray with you. Because I know there are things going on in your life. I know there's different things that are happening. And you need to know God never intended for you to do this by yourself. And so these men and women, they're here to stand with you, to agree with you, to cry with you, to rejoice with you, and to stand in faith for you. And so they'll just hang out here. And I want to encourage you just to come forward at the end of service. Ask somebody to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. Let me just speak a blessing over you, and I'll dismiss you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless you, everybody.